Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message. Now the passage um, that we uh, will be looking at today is found in Luke 12, as has been said, and it starts with verse 35. If you'd like a Bible, the usual drill, put your hand up, and um, one will come very shortly. We always keep a bunch of spares. I don't know what page number it is. I didn't look it up. 1045. 1045. It's Luke 12, and we're going to start at the 35th verse. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us, or to everyone? And the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men's servants and make them, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready, or does not do what his master wants, will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know, and does things deserving punishment, will be beaten with fewer blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. During the course of this last week, I and and my family um, had some very sad news. Uh, My sister, my younger sister, is um, suffering from cancer, quite an aggressive form. Uh, we have just been told, and this uh, this Christmas possibly will be her last. And it brought home to me as I was thinking, um, preparing for this morning, again, that our lives, all our lives, are, are on a journey, as it were. We It is a journey with an end point in view. My my sister has been a, a Christian for, for many years, with her struggles and, and her ups and downs, like, I guess, there, most of us. But now it begins to look as if she may, may well arrive at the end of the journey before me. 
my little kid sister getting there first. And I think it does us all good from time to time to be reminded um, that we are heading somewhere, that our lives are a journey. And one of the practical questions that we all of us face, and it's, it's raised in the passage that we've just run, that we've just read together, is on any journey, what do you take with you? What can you take with you? Even going out to work in the morning, if that's what you do, there's the question of what do you take with you? What do you mean for that day? Yesterday morning, um, I was up in Edinburgh um, and flew home around breakfast time. I was up in in Dundee and, and Aberdeen in the course of my work in the last few days. And, uh, you know, you get on the plane early in the morning with all these businessmen with their briefcases and their ties and their suits. There's me with a scruffy jacket and a sleeping bag and uh, a single change of clothes and, and the usual sort of books and papers that I, I carry around with me. It's the stuff I need. I thought about it briefly before I go. I gather up the stuff and go. If you go to visit relatives this Christmas, what will you take? You'll have to decide, won't you? What, what sort of things can you carry or transport with you? Fascinating watching the, the parents sitting at the back. I, I watch the parents coming in late in the morning. The fathers load it down with the most ridiculous little plastic noisy toys and, and other things that, that make squeaks and bumps and gurgles sort of to keep the, the, the kids amused. What do you really need on any journey? What, what matters? And what has to be left behind? Now these kind of questions are exactly the questions that um, my sister's situation raises, but at another level. What can we take with us? Can we send anything on ahead? What will we inevitably leave behind? Now, Jesus in Luke chapter 12 has been talking about, um, in, in story after story, the importance or otherwise of the things that we own or the things that we want to own. And he's been putting them in eternal perspective. You remember two weeks ago, we, we thought of the story of, of the farmer whose business had done extraordinarily well. And uh, he found himself owning far more than he needed. And so he decides to pull down his old barns and to build up new ones. And then he plans to retire. And he, he said to himself, I'm going to eat and drink and be merry in retirement for the rest of my life. I'm just going to enjoy myself. I'm going to look after myself and it's going to be great. Without a thought for God or anyone else, that's how he plans to use the things that he's got. And the Lord Jesus in telling the story said, what a fool you are. Tonight, tonight before tomorrow morning, your life is going to have to be handed back. It was only ever on loan anyway. You can't take these things with you. And they're all going to go, every single one of them, to somebody else. And you will turn out to be a pauper, penniless, as far as things of eternal value are concerned. What a fool, what a bad business plan this has all been. And then um, in, in those previous verses, we read these, these words. Jesus says, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it, for the pagan word runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, his rule in your life, your family, church, uh, in the nation. Seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
I think we need this at Christmas time when the whole world seems to go mad around us and be obsessed with the things that are very temp- temperate. Life to Jesus is a great deal more than just what you um, may get to eat or clothes that you may put on. And then he goes on with these words. Sell your possessions. This is the opposite of, a, of the Christmas advertising uh, man's dream, isn't it? You'll go out on the street and start setting up outside W.H. Smith's and Marks and Spencer's and selling what we already had. It would drive them bonkers. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not ever be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are the things that you really value? Because it's inevitable, said Jesus. It's human psychological makeup that you will be drawn towards what you really value. If it's relationships, friendships, God, it's what he has to say to us, knowing the Lord, exploring his mind, furthering his plan, being about the things that concern him. Now, that's the context of the verses that we come to now um, this morning. In these verses from 35 through to 48 that we've just read, Jesus is turning to another consideration that will put material possessions in their right perspective. And that is, as Malcolm has reminded us already, the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. He is going to return in a totally different way from the way we will be thinking of naturally at Christmas time. He's coming back. And we've got these two stories about servants, one in verses 35 to 40, the next in verses 42 to 46. What happens to servants when the master returns after having been away for a long time? We believe here in this church, always have, that Jesus is going to return to this earth. He said he would repeatedly. He talks of it in the same context in Scripture as he speaks of the resurrection. He'd be back within 48 hours. If you put me to death, I will be back. And he speaks of it again, not now with a, a, a time tag, but he will come again in power and great glory at an unnamed time in the future. We don't know when. He said we wouldn't know until it happened. But his arrival is definite. It will be sudden, unexpected, and very noisy. You can see that in verse 40. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. You see it again in verse 46. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he is not aware of. So be ready. And it comes again and again and again in these passages. Verse 35, be dressed ready. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Verse uh, 40, you also must be ready. Just earlier on in this chapter, he's talked with an invitation. If you want to learn to pray, come, knock, and he will open to you if we expect him to be ready and willing when we come knocking at his door. It's only reasonable if a little bit later in the chapter he should point out that we uh, are expected to be dressed ready for service when he knocks at ours. Have you ever had the experience of people arriving at, at your house and catching you doing something uh, that you shouldn't really be doing? Mm. 
let me make a confession in the presence of my wife. From time to time, I um, play low-level chess on one of these electronic computers. And from time to time, it becomes quite an obsession with me. And Pris looks at me as if to chase me back to the study or off to do the work that I should be doing. And there have been occasions when I have been thinking she's out, playing my move, and then I hear the car pulling up at the door and she's come back from somewhere, and I tell you, my friends, and I tell her, I have dropped to my knees and crawled on hand and out of the sitting room, because she might see me at the front door, and back into my study and look up from the desk. Yes, dear? Well, we can laugh at these kind of human situations. This is actually going to be very, very serious, isn't it? The parable speaks of a servant assigned to their post at a time of delay, time of darkness, middle of the night, when it's easy to lose your sense of expectancy, stop remembering that he's coming at all. And in this context of this chapter, this, the, the drift of Luke 12, the danger is that we get so preoccupied with things, with material goods, with presents, with trading up on our furniture or our house or our electronic gadget, or just working our butts off in order to be able to purchase these things that we want, that the whole eternal side of our being gets marginalized. Has it been the story of the church in the last 25 years? Little time, less and less time to talk with God or listen to him in his living word, or to serve him, or care for neighbors and family, and so on. That's what Jesus is talking about. Are you ready at that level? He speaks in verse 35 of keeping your lamp burning in the darkness. It reminds me of, of um, those words in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul talks in, in these terms, once you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. That's the first lesson of these simple stories. Keep your eye and heart on the big coming. Not just the Christmas coming, which we can easily wrap up in the wrapping paper of sentimentality. Big coming of Christ, he will return. The second story, and from verses 42 to 46, teaches us that when the Lord comes back, his servants will be accountable. Accountable for what they've done with the responsibilities and the opportunities and the things given to them. But between these two stories, did you notice, um, Peter pops in a question, verse 41. The Lord is there, um, are you talking in all this stuff about servants and being waiting and ready and so on? Are you talking just to us, the twelve, you know, your, your following converted real disciples? Or are you talking to everybody, the crowd all around here, the people who haven't decided yet or don't know whether they should follow you? Who are you actually talking to? And uh, Jesus' Jesus's reply quite often he does this. It seems to duck the question at first. And then when you look again, you see that actually he's answered the question but at a more profound level than probably Peter even meant it. You see, we know from the rest of the New Testament, don't we, that the disciples of Christ, the true disciples of Jesus, are stewards of spiritual gifts and responsibilities granted to them because they have become 
members of the family of God and, and children of God. When it comes to natural gifts and material good, nobody, not anybody, disciple or not, is the absolute owner of all the things that they have. We are, all of us, stewards. Everybody is. We brought nothing into the world, says Jesus. We can take nothing out of it. It's been the teaching of that earlier story about the fool farmer. Our Creator is entitled to ask us what we did with what He gave. And so Jesus' answer is very crude. How can you tell what a person is, whether they are a disciple or not yet, deep down, except by what they do? They don't become a disciple by what they do, but you can tell whether they are by observing how they live and what their priorities and so on are. Is a person living with one eye on Christ's return? Do they show signs of understanding that they are a steward of the things that they have and not merely the absolute owner? In other words, are they living life here now with its challenges and its sicknesses and its things and so on? Are they living now here in relation to a master? Or for all practical purposes, they live as if there wasn't one. It's as if they'd gone to sleep or forgotten that they are responsible to someone else who's coming back. The person who has got one eye on Christ's return, who lived in the, with everything that they got in the knowledge that Jesus is coming back, that person, says he, is a faithful servant of God. If they don't, they aren't. Now, Jesus really couldn't be plainer, could he? Supposing somebody just uses their gifts and their possessions and so on, he says, to indulge themselves. They oppress the poor. They cheat. They have no interest in love or justice. They do violence to other people. That's what he's talking about. The servant who says the other master's not coming back and he begins to beat the men servants and maid servants to eat and drink and get drunk. That only proves that that person is not actually a true servant of the master, not a Christian. And, says Jesus, when Christ returns, he will pronounce them as such and then deal with them accordingly. But if the Lord finds us faithful and hard-working in the relative levels of, of service and opportunity that he has assigned us to, even though he is a long time coming, it's astonishing. It says that we will be put in charge of even greater responsibilities in the world to come. I find actually the rewards that are spoken of in these two little stories um, really quite astonishing. In verse 37, in the first story, you remember, there are the servants waiting. The master comes at four in the morning or whatever. It's been a great wedding banquet that he's been off at. And he gets home, um, having been out all that time, and he finds his servants watching and waiting and ready. Verse 37 gives us the astonishing sight that the master comes in and he then provides a banquet for those who, who have been his servants. Having waited all that time, they then sit down and, and he says, now let me put on, um, you know, the clothes that, that food can get spilt on and I will look after you. And of course, it, it drives our minds off to that great New Testament picture in the later books about the married supper of the Lamb. What an astonishing master Christians have.
after years of faithful service. He is the Lord. He is the master. He finally comes knocking at the door. You welcome him. And then your natural duty would be to say, now, how can we serve you, help you, run the bar, get the food on the table? He says, no, just you sit down. You take your eat. You've done well in just waiting. Let me spread a banquet for you. And then in the second um, story, uh, in verse 44, he speaks of those certain being given unimaginably increased responsibility because they have simply attended to it that they be ready, they be alert, they don't forget who they are, whose uh, servants they are, and um, they're ready to welcome him when he finally comes. I must stop and go away, as you know. Number one, life is a journey. Let's make progress on it, even this Christmas, and not be distracted by, by other many things. And the second point to take home is that how we handle the thing, the objects that we have and the responsibilities that we have along the way is of great interest to the Lord. He's watching over it. My mother has been down with my sister this past uh, ten days or a fortnight. And she went home yesterday to my father, my dear old dad, who's 86, deaf as a post, and uh, not really that able to look after himself. But he's been trying up in the north. And I rang him the other day. He said, uh, well, I said, I've been hoovering around the house to be ready for when she gets back. I don't know whether he's scared. I could imagine that. Or whether it's just he wants to surprise her because I've been talking to her on the phone and she's expecting a total mess. And he knows that she's expecting a total mess. And so he's telling me proudly that he's got the hoover out and the dear old boy has gone around tidying up the place so that when she arrived home last night, things would be ready and he'd be able to to welcome her with a little surprise. Good on him. May we be the same at that higher level. God, our Father, we thank you for the simplicity of these stories and yet the accuracy of their challenge to us. We confess that we are people who get distracted or go to sleep, forget whose servants we really are, live as if everything we had belonged only to us. Lord, help us to be a different kind of people so that when you come, Lord Jesus, you're able to say, well done, good and faithful servants. And all these other things that you say you plan to do, we, we confess we don't deserve them, that you should spread a banquet for us or give us the increased responsibilities. Lord, you are such a gracious God. We love you for who you are. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.livingleadership.org. God bless.